We now know what shipping needs to do by 2050. We've got a pretty good idea of what 2040 and even 2030 looks like on paper. But after the big political showdown in the IMO earlier this month, we are now looking down the barrel of the difficult detail of what follows. And as we've talked about before on this podcast, we're not just talking about shipping issues here. We're talking about a global energy transition. Working out where shipping fits into this is not just a case of setting targets or sending demand signals or creating policy. It requires a much more holistic approach that considers the entire energy value chain. It's about scaling up low carbon fuel production, certainly, but that doesn't work if you can't integrate the ports, the logistics, and of course the shipping, and get both the public and private sector buy-in. Which is why energy ministers were converging this week on the Indian beach resort of Goa. They never do end up in Skegness, do they? Anyway... It turns out that they arrived in the middle of monsoon, so any hope of coconut cocktails on the beach unfortunately were dashed, and they had to get down to the tricky business of how to scale up low-carbon fuel production. Amongst them, sheltering from the rain was a crack squadron of shipping industry leaders, helping to ensure that the maritime element was not just in the mix, but in many ways leading the conversation. I managed to grab a few of them for the podcast this week. So you're going to be hearing from Patrick Verhoeven, Managing Director of the International Association of Ports and Harbours, Professor Lin Liu, the Chief Executive Officer of the Global Centre for Maritime Decarbonisation, podcast favourite Bud Dar, Executive Vice President of Maritime Policy and Government Affairs at MSC Group. But I'm going to start with Stuart Neal, uh, who is the Director of Strategy and Communications at the International Chamber of Shipping. Because for those of you still wondering what a clean energy marine hub is, what it looks like, what it does, well, he's the man to tell you. Thanks, Richard. Um, so back in um, Glasgow COP, we, we convened an event. And, and what came out of that was not just the demand that shipping's going to have for these new fuels. It was clear that energy ministers who came to our event were planning a lot of things outside of our normal sphere of activity and the shipping industry traditionally what it does is transports these fuels and the where where we as a collective kind of came out from there was thinking there's something in this and we gathered industry leaders again in in june in in london and one of the things that really came out of that is yes there's a lot of things going on to decarbonize ships engines there's a lot of work a lot of companies doing an awful lot of work but there's no one really looking at the value chain of liquid fuels for all the outcomes of, of um, industry. And when you actually look at where the demand is going to come from, shipping is going to be a relatively small player. But if we can harness the massive opportunity, but also the scale of production, and, and for us in the shipping industry, you know, we, we transport 36% of you know, the fuels market at the moment. That's going to increase both in terms of the amount of these new fuels and IRENA, the International Renewable Energy Agency, predict around 50% of these new fuels will have to be moved by ship. But of course, the volumetric density of this fuel is much greater as well. So you're going to need more ships. You're going to need bigger harbors. You're going to need more infrastructure. And you need to think about this strategically, about the production near a port, using the port infrastructure with ships so that we align when you buy a ship at the right time, you build a port at the right time, so it's not a hindrance to the supply chain, but actually catalyzes the supply chain. 
And then, you know, in a, in a purely altruistic, a, a, a purely um, business sense, that also builds the infrastructure for the shipping industry to decarbonize as well. So there's, uh, it's a potential win-win, uh, and it stops the, the just thinking about um, the additional pr- problem and costs for production, but it's an opportunity for the industry to really engage with an understanding of working closely with the, uh, the energy sector. And, and we approach the Clean Energy Ministerial, which is a, an entity which, after the uh, Copenhagen uh, COP meeting, was ministers that represent 80% of the um, f- emissions of the world coming together to try and work together on practical solutions that they need to address the energy transition. So we approach them to say, look, we can be part, you're not looking at this, you need to be, we need to be part of your solution. And you mentioned a couple of key words there, practical, strategic, uh, uh, collaborative. You know, these are the, the the tangible realities of what the industry is trying to do. We're a week out from uh, MEPC 80 where we were talking uh, at a, a more global level about the targets that we as an industry need to achieve. But this is much more about joining the dots between politics, strategy in business, the infrastructure and and how we tangibly get there and and joining the dots between all those things is not necessarily going to happen uh in a in a way that is global you need to have these these areas of catalyzed activity um lynn i mean this is a a a subject that we have spoken about on numerous occasions and and this is you know really what your um efforts are trying to, to to do to try and sort of join the dots i guess to your mind, you know, is this, is this now the tangible reality of, of, of what the industry needs to do to try and achieve those goals that we heard about last week at MEPC 80? Yeah, uh, thanks, Richard. Um, uh, yes, I think so. I mean, this is at least one of the steps that uh, the industry needs to do. We need to think about what it takes to operationalize and to get to the goals that were agreed upon last week. And I I think, you know, uh, focusing on the practical is really, really important. And here, I think what I really like about the SEM Hub's concept is uh, to focus on the duality of shipping, right? Um, Shipping doesn't um, exist in isolation. Um, Shipping um, is here uh, to kind of help facilitate the greater energy transition, as Stuart said earlier on. And so it's really important to think how we can facilitate that greater energy transition. And in doing so, uh, we can help ourselves decarbonize, right? And so it's all tangled together. Um, And if you look at the numbers, they really tell the story, right? I mean, I think uh, the numbers that I'm familiar with are the ammonia numbers because we have a big initiative in ammonia. Uh, The ammonia demand, global ammonia demand is projected to be 500 uh, million tons by 2050. Today, it's about 200 million tons. There are new end uses, shipping, marine fuel being one of them, but also power generation and also as a hydrogen vector. Um, Just because you have new users and end users doesn't mean they're the only users. One has to figure out how to to kind of spread this around with existing uh, users as well. And so figuring out that new supply chain, figuring out 
the infrastructure, the tremendous amount of infrastructure that needs to be built is really important. And then figuring out standards and guidelines that can harmonize across the board is really important too. And so I think, you know, for the Global Center for Maritime Decarbonization, we're doing our piece uh, by focusing on, on safety, by focusing on how we can uh, bring some of these uh, draft guidelines to bear, at least with mm. ammonia. And to the point that we mentioned about uh, the holistic need to join the dots between ports and shipping and politics, you know, we have Bud, who I'm going to say is representing the whole of the shipping industry, and, and Patrick here, who's representing the whole of the port sector. I mean, between the two of you, um, give, give us a flavor of, of why you think it's so important that we have efforts like this in part of the conversation. It's not the whole story by any stretch, but you know, this is important that we get the ports and the shipping matched up with the politics and the energy and the demand. Patrick, I mean, give, it, give us a view from the ports. Yeah, well, there's, there's two dimensions to this story. The DIMO story is, of course, about decarbonizing shipping. Uh, and you need ports to facilitate that. And primarily, that's the story about bunkering and, and having, you know, procedures in place, quality, safety, you know, having a sufficient number of bunkering uh, stations in place. This discussion about SEMHUBs is different. This is about the transport of fuels. This is about the trade of fuels, which, as, as Stuart said, we, the expectation is that by 2050, about 50% of the, um, the new energy fuels will be transported by maritime. Um, I compared it earlier today in, in, in the discussion with, I think we're seeing an, an impact that is potentially as big as containerization has had many decades ago. This will transform the business of shipping. It will transform the business of ports, the business models as well. The only difference is, or a major difference, is that, of course, containerization was a purely market-given thing. There were no targets. There were no deadlines. Here we have governmental targets and deadlines to decarbonize the world basically, under the Paris Agreement. And that's why you need governments in, involved in this discussion. And SEM Hubs is actually, it's a platform where industry, shipping ports, and governments come together to see where are these hubs going to develop. Uh, we, we already have front runners now, ports, both in, in Latin America and Europe, in Asia, that have seen this and that say, okay, this we need to adjust our strategy to become such a hub. There are many, many others out there who still are sort of seeing this happen and say, what will this mean to us? How do we get involved in this? And a platform like SEMHUBS is actually the ideal place to bring these interests together. That's something we never did in the past um, on containerization, for instance, that just evolved. And, and some were skeptical in the early days and others were you know, seeing the opportunity. That was a pure business thing. This is also a market uh, development, but not just a market development, because we're dealing with public policy goals here. Mm. And that, I think, is, is, is why a platform like this is needed, uh, bringing these um, both government and industry together. Um, but, I mean, you have appeared on this podcast before, and we've spoken very much from a shipping perspective, but we've also spoken about the need for shipping to integrate itself into the wider energy transition conversation. This is a really tangible example of shipping doing that. Do you think this is the right conversation for shipping to be having right now? I, I absolutely think it's the right conversation to have. And right now, I think it's very timely. I, I take a somewhat more expansive view than, than Patrick just expressed over what this is about, because although fundamentally it's about helping with the broader energy transition, which shipping, just as we have served all the needs as they emerge 
of, of international trade will be there to do that in sufficient capacity to serve the need for moving these fuels from the point of production to the point of consumption. It also has the benefit of having us right in the middle of that and having these molecules flow through places where ships naturally go. And one of the things that makes this, I I think, a really worthwhile initiative on our part and and why I've committed my time to it personally and, and on behalf of my company is that our normal audience is with transport ministries. We talk to them all the time. But at the end of the day, all of the investments we're making, all of the targets we're setting, all of the ideas that we have will mean nothing in the end if we don't actually have access to the fuels. So what we're finding is, or at least I'm finding, is the engagement with the energy ministers and energy ministries is making a lot of progress towards raising awareness over what we need in a difficult to decarbonize sector that is actually really trying very hard and and emerging as as leaders now as far as willingness and commitment to decarbonize. Because without those fuels, it just doesn't happen and we're not going to be successful. So I think it's really been worthwhile to broaden our audience from the normal conversations that we have that's more focused on the transport sector alone. Uh, Stuart, back to you on, on, on that point. I mean, the fact that shipping is competing with so many other sectors also struggling with the need to decarbonize, the need to access zero carbon fuels. This conversation that, you know, the ICS has been, you know, instrumental in spearheading is precisely about what Bud has just explained. It's about having different conversations with different aspects of that political uh, contextual conversation. Do you get the impression that, that shipping is now higher up the agenda and in the right conversations? So I think you're right, Richard, and, and, it, and it really is important to take a more holistic view because we have opportunity. I think trying to understand the scale of what we're, you know, we, we, we look at things through little, um, like tidal pools, um, but actually when you think about the, the ocean itself, it's a much bigger opportunity, and we can then, if we can see the other tidal pools and connect them, but also do it in a way that we can benefit from and we can support, that that works really well. And I think the conversations that we are having with the governments, they, when we started, they're saying, oh, it's all about decarbonizing shipping, isn't it? Well, there's a part of that. But then when they understand, well, you're working on market design for the use of fuels, or you're talking to a government, you know, we talk to a government minister who's thinking, I'm going to produce these fuels. And we're going to sell it to Germany or we're going to sell it to Japan or uh, great. how are you going to get it there? I hadn't thought of that. So you know, now we're in the we're in that th- this initiative has started today. Now, as I say, another country has joined. We believe that a number of other countries here at this meeting will join whilst we're here. That then starts a piece of work, uh, work stream with governments, but also, and, it, and it's not just ICS and, and, and Patrick, we're very fortunate to have a, a community of, of leaders you know, like Bud and, and, and others from the class societies, from the energy producers, from you know, the, the entire value chain, including finance. But we can also broaden that out to bring in the, 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 the finance community and development finance community to really start to unlock this um, and I think it's having the transparency because where we see, even in the conversations with in the other sectors, that it's the lack of transparency and understanding on when that offtake is going to happen with enough notice that 
ship owners can purchase the ships to the scale that Lynn is talking about and highlighting, that we're going to need an awful lot of this stuff. But, but what we don't want to be is too late, but also we don't, don't want to be too early. For Patrick, he needs to get support both regionally, and, and Patrick can talk, I think, to the, the, the changing dynamic of, of government, uh, port development, which tends to be local, but actually needs to be part of an industrial strategy, which then needs the, as Bud talks to, the, the, the energy ministers who have that direct link to the prime minister. Now, we were talking with one um, entity here who is basically reports directly to the prime minister of a country, and they're looking at a massive transformation of their energy system, and they need ships. And that's an important element that we can bring together. And that safety element, and as, as we discussed in... Two week, three weeks ago in the Philippines, we can also make sure that we're bringing on the people, both in the ports and on sea, that are able to deliver on these new infrastructure developments and, and technologies. I mean, the shipping has been, um, you know, routinely characterised as a hard to abate sector, a, a problem that needs to be solved. This feels like we are much more in a leadership position than than ever before. I mean, Lynn, you have mentioned this before, and I've been in rooms where I think it's fair to say the skeptics may have scoffed at such suggestions that, um, you know, the industry, you know, is able to be a pioneer in such things. But this is a tangible reality that perhaps we're not too far off that. I, I agree with that assessment. And I mean, I'd like to come back to your question to Stuart about competition. I mean, I think the competition that we have is against time. It's not against each other. And this uh, sense hubs, is a way for us to demonstrate that, right? Um, so by anchoring these activity, the fuel production activity at, at ports, you are co-locating um, both the, pro, pro, you're co-locating production with the end user, right? And so that helps us de-risk the entire value chain. That helps you crowd in uh, by aggregating demand right there and then you can crowd in these future fuels faster, cleaner and safer. And so it's really, a collaboration, it's a coordinated approach as opposed to a competition. And this coordinated approach is across sectors um, and it's up and down the value chain. So, I mean, I was telling, uh, I believe uh, Guy Platten this this morning that, you know, it's it's really a matrix approach uh, to the challenge as opposed to looking at it one dimensionally, right? So um, no question, we want to be in the leadership position. I think we, we have been, we're just silent about it because if you look at, um, the energy infrastructure today, I mean, Stuart just mentioned that shipping is responsible for um, uh, transporting 36% um, uh, of the energy that's being transported around. I mean, so we have been at that nexus of energy and transport. We are going to continue to be at that nexus of energy and transport. It's just a different form of energy in the form of green molecules today. Patrick, I mean, in terms of um, the demand signals that everybody was talking about from MEPC and, you know, are the targets enough? This conversation about what is needed is bluntly going to require money. Do you think that these conversations, those targets, this is all going to be enough to um, catalyze the huge investments that are going to be required in your sector? Well, there's two things. I think there's one is the investments to decarbonize shipping. That is a particular discussion where in IMO there is a discussion on an economic measure. We, we, nothing was really decided yet at MEPC, but that's going to be one of the next things. And revenue of such a measure could be indeed allocated for um, bunkering infrastructure, for instance, in developing countries. That, that is a, a 
pathway which I think is clear. We're talking here about production, where distribution, storage of fuels for trade and transportation. And if we look at you know current, uh, let's say, low-carbon hydrogen production projects around the world, um, of those that are ongoing or planned, there's only 4 or 5% that actually have an investment decision. And what is worrying is that none of those are close to ports. That's where they should be. If you, you know, if we want to get this straight uh, going between production centers and, and, and areas in the world where, where the fuels will be needed. So I think the challenge is, is multiple times higher for the overall role that shipping plays in decarbonization than the decarbonization of shipping in itself, which is already challenging enough. Okay. Um, but I'm going to leave the last word to you and ask possibly an unfair question, but you and I have been speaking a lot over recent months and you've been on something of a world tour uh, from various uh, internal industry meetings to the, uh, uh, you know, talking about what happens at MEPC uh, and, and beyond and now here. And there's a lot of words, um, a lot of important words, a lot of important discussions, but how do we turn those words into actionable reality? What, how, do we, how does this start becoming a tangible thing rather than just more hot air? Yeah, Richard, I want to start by by just embracing the comment that you made to lead into this question. You know, at the end, we're going to be judged by, did we actually decarbonize and did we do it in time? We're not going to be judged by the best soundbite or the best aspiration or the best press statement. So it's incredibly important to get the fuels moving in our direction with our 4% of the demand for the world fuel picture right now, which is not an easy thing to do. And I think that creative initiatives like this one that actually reach the people who are trying to bring forward fuels for decarbonization of all of society really is a very positive thing to engage in. And as we look at the success that IMO had last week, and of course, you know, the naysayers will always you know, speak their piece about it never being good enough, but let's, let's face it, I mean, that really was success. And I'm really very happy that IMO has embraced the target for 2050 fundamentally that the shipping industry has been calling for for two years. We think the right answer is net zero for 2050. But to get there, we are going to need the fuels. The fuels are not going to be within the control of IMO directly. It's going to take other places in society to make that happen. And where we can find the places to bridge that gap between the various stakeholders that paint that same holistic sort of picture that Lynn was describing earlier, the more chances we're going to have to pick pathways that are going to get us to the end state we need the fastest. And I, I for one, am, am really pleased to be part of this effort and others like it because it's not about words. It's about what are you really going to do? And this is actually getting things moving and doing something very positive, not just for our sector, but for society as a whole, as shipping can play a key role in that. And there we shall end the podcast for another week. I hope that was useful because I, I genuinely think that the hubs concept is one that actually has a lot of promise. And it's well worth digging into some of the available material on this via the ICS and the IAPH. Um, my thanks to Bud, Stuart, Lynn and Patrick for taking the time late at night to talk to me from Goa this week. Uh, we will be back next week, I hope, with a returning podcast guest, the renowned author, economist and historian Mark Levinson. For now, though, thank you for listening and have a good week.